Good morning, New Hope. How's everyone doing this morning? Beautiful weekend, isn't it? How many of you spent a lot of time outside just enjoying the beautiful weather? Uh, it was a great, uh, great weekend to be here and enjoy this weather. Uh, thank you, Pastor John, for that introduction. I, I really appreciate that. I, I first learned about that, Pastor John as he's leading an inner city ministry uh, to, to youth in, in Minneapolis called the Dynamites Hockey Program. And I thought, what a cool guy. Here's a guy who loves Jesus, most importantly. And he's using hockey, a game that I enjoy and that I played for a long time, to bring people to Jesus. And now God is using him here at New Hope to bring people closer to Jesus as well. But you may also not know this about Pastor John, but he's a pretty good golfer. Anyone know that? He's a pretty good golfer. And so when we took a First People's Vision trip this past August... We ended the trip by him and I golfing together on my tribe's golf course. And uh, I hit what I call the toe wedge a lot. If you know what that is, a toe wedge is basically where you kick the ball out of the woods after you use an actual club uh, to hit the ball into the woods. But Pastor John, uh, he actually hit his real golf clubs pretty good that day. So he's a pretty good golfer. But enough about golf. I just want to start by introducing myself in the Ojibwe language. And then I'll explain what I said. Here it is. Buju Nishinabe, Ryan O'Leary Nindijinakaz, Makwa Nindudem, Asabi Kanazaga Iganin Nindujiba, Bemichigamag Ninda, Miigwech Bijayeg. Now, here's, uh, here's what I said. I started by saying the words, uh, Buju Anishinaabe, that word Buju means hello in Ojibwe. And then I said, Asibi Kanazaga Nindujiba, which means I come from the Net Lake or Boys Fort Indian Reservation. That's a tribe I'm enrolled in. I also said, Ryan O'Leary Nindijinakaz, which means I am where I call myself. And then I said my name. And next, I shared what clan I come from. I said, Makwa Nindudem which means um, I come from the Bear Clan. And then I also said where I currently live. I said the words Bemidji Gamag Ninda, which means I currently live in the city of Bemidji. Uh, I live with my family and my children in the city. And then I said Miigwech, Biajayeg, Nungam, or thank you for listening to me today. Now that I've shared a little bit about my introduction, I just want to say that I am I am excited about how God is going to use New Hope in First People's ministry. I believe that he is going to use this church in some extraordinary ways. And so I'm, I'm excited to be back here and be able to share with you in this area as well God's word. So if you have your Bibles this morning or you want to look up on the screen, uh, you can follow along. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Again, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14 through 16, this is what God says to us through his word this morning. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can we bow in prayer to lift this message to the Lord? God, we, we thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you have brought to us as believers in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we're thankful that it's, it's not by our works, but, by its, by its, but it's by your grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for, we're thankful for the word. We're thankful for your spirit that dwells with us as believers. We pray that your spirit would do a work in and through me here this morning in, in New Hope here in Cambridge and Isanti uh, in this area. Lord, we're thankful for who you are, your greatness, and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in early this May, in Rapid City, South Dakota, there was a, there was a Native Christian leadership gathering. And, and at this leadership gathering, there were Native leaders from 14 states, two provinces, and 24 tribes at this conference. And this conference was sponsored by the Billy Graham Evangelical Evangelist Association, and Billy Graham's grandson, Will Graham, he spoke at it. And I want to share just a, a few words that Will Graham said at this conference back in May. And as he addressed the assembly, he, he encountered or he shared this similar experience that happened way back, back on March 18th of 1975. And during this meeting a long time ago, Billy Graham, he shared with Native Christian leaders who were present there. And he said these words, he says, you as evangelical Indians are a sleeping giant. And he said, you are now beginning to awaken and the original Americans could help turn around and be the evangelists to win other Americans to Jesus Christ. Will Graham also said at this year's conference, these words, just a quick snippet of what he said. He said, I believe this is our opportunity. A God-given moment in time. This is a moment in history that can change our country. The specific focus that I want you to note in this is, this is our opportunity, a God-given moment in time. That this is not just my opportunity. This is just not Pastor John's opportunity. This is not just Pastor Bill's opportunity. This is our opportunity as a body of Christ. And New Hope has many different opportunities um, and I want to specifically focus on the opportunity that you have in front of you, and that's engaging ministry, ministry more amongst First Peoples and North America. I want to give you three words in this message from Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, that will hopefully encourage you this morning and even challenge you. And here's the first as you move forward, you know, as you move forward into First Peoples ministry. It's this, know and remember who you are. Know and remember who you are. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, these words. He says, you are the light of the world. And he, and he wasn't speaking to everyone in this context. He was speaking to his disciples, or he's speaking to his, his followers. And I think Jesus today, he wants his church to also know who we are as well, and that we are are the light of the world. Jesus often used things to teach people from the world. And in this passage, you can see that he references a town and a lamp. It's interesting that one scholar said this. He said, a lamp used in a typical Palestinian home during Jesus' earthly life was a partially closed reservoir made of clay. It had a hole on top to pour oil in and a spout on one end to which a wick of flax or cotton was set. So a fairly small lamp was, it wasn't extremely large. It was actually really small, and it gave off only a modest amount of light. 
And so as a result, to give maximum illumination, this, this lamp was set on top of a lampstand. And then since many Jewish homes were, were relatively small, most of them only had uh, a, a, one, a one room in the house, this light could give light to everyone and everything in the house. And they were also essential for finding their way, people finding their way uh, around at night. And the lamp was placed under a measuring bowl only to extinguish the light. But here's what I want to focus on from what I just shared. One small lamp can give light to an entire house. Just think for a moment how one church collectively, like New Hope, can shine the light of Christ among first peoples in North America who so desperately need Jesus. And you can accomplish so much as you come together and as you gather together and as you work in first ministry. Over the years of my involvement, my leadership in native ministry, a lot of people have come to me and said, can I really be used in first people's ministry? After all, I'm not Anglo, I'm native, or I come from a different ethnic background. Can God really use my life? I say that's a great question, and often when people say something like that to me, I share the story of, of Gideon. If you know the story of Gideon, he wasn't the most confident guy in the world. He, he struggled with some uh, feelings of inadequacy and inferiority. Maybe some of us do as well. In Judges chapter 6, he's hiding out in a wine press, which, is, which was basically a hole in the ground and he, that they used to thresh wheat in. And as he's hiding out, an angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel of the Lord says to him, mighty warrior. It's interesting how God saw him. The circumstances didn't really show that he's a mighty warrior. He's hiding out in a wine press. But God says to a mighty warrior. And then Gideon responds to give a paraphrase of what he said to this angel of the Lord. He said, excuse me, but pardon me. Why are we like this? If, if I'm a mighty warrior, why are we under Midianite oppression? And why has God abandoned us? And then the angel of the Lord directed Gideon to go. And God was going to use him to save the Israelites out from Midianite oppression. And Gideon's response was this. He said, basically, how can I do this? Again, he's expressing his, his inadequacy. He says, my clan is, is the least and I am the least in my family. But God was still going to use Gideon. And God used him. And God told him all he needed to do to succeed. And it was this. He just needed to put his trust and faith in God. And God was going to be with him. That's all he needed was God was going to be with him. How many of you believe that God is sufficient? Amen? God alone is sufficient. There are a number of, of non-native people who God has used in first people's ministry. I can think to my own reservation, Boys Fort, way up in remote, remote northern Minnesota. There's a man by the name of, of Wally Olson. And Wally Olson looked about as Anglo as a guy could look. Was, I mean, he looked extremely Anglo, Anglo. But most importantly, he loved Jesus. And he loved native people. And God used him mightily. 
Right before the end of Wally's life on January 2nd, 2008, my tribe approved of Wally becoming an honorary member on September 26, 2007, because he made such an impact. I also think about a well-known Christian leader and missionary named David Brainerd. Maybe you've heard of him before. But David initially went to Yale, and he's eventually expelled from this school. But, and then he went to work with this guy named John Sargent. He was a missionary to the Stockbridge Indians from 1743 to 1747. He ministered to Native people in, in Massachusetts, eastern New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. And at this, at this New Jersey Bethel mission, he achieved his greatest ministry successes. And out of these experiences in this particular ministry, he, he wrote these installments of his journals, and he described revivals that were happening amongst the Delaware Indians. And he also wrote about his own spiritual struggles and joy that he was experiencing in life. And so New Hope, as you move forward in First People's ministry, know that it can take time to build trust and a rapport with the people, but also know this, God will help you. And remember that God will be with you and that you are the light of the world. One Christian commentator had this to say about these words that Jesus says to his followers, things that I think it's so important for us to remember. He said, that is a great compliment, but it's also a great responsibility. Not only were your followers of Christ the light of the world, I want to move on in this message right now and share my second word of encouragement with you. And here it is. Obey what God is calling you to do. Let's continue to look at this passage. If you have your Bible, Bible's open. To me, this is an obedience issue. Know what God says about you. Yes, know your identity. We are the salt and the light, light, but also know what God is calling you to do. And so you might ask, well, what is God calling us or me to do? And the answer to that question is God is calling us to let our light shine. If you look at this passage here, that, that phrase, let your light shine, is, is an imperative. Basically, this is a command that Jesus is giving to us. And we show that we love Jesus by obeying him. About 12 years ago, I was asked by a, a ministry leader to go up into Sioux Lookout, Ontario, and to share at a large First Nations hockey tournament. This ministry leader described uh, what they were doing up there. They said, at this hockey tournament, there's hundreds of First Nations people, uh, and they come to this tournament, and there's all these bad and sinful things that happen. There's, there's drunkenness, there's violence, there's suicide. And because of that, some of the local ministry leaders, they, they want to do something about it. And so they're conducting outreaches at the hotel where a lot of these people are staying at. So they asked if I would come up and speak for the weekend. And after hearing what they're doing, I agreed to do it. And I spoke for the weekend. And then after speaking that weekend, there was a, a leader up there. His name is Gary Keekwish, a very respected First Nations leader in Canada. You can see him on the screen. And he offered to drive me to the airport. And so on the, air, on the way to the airport, Gary opens up and he starts sharing his life story with me, his faith journey. And he said to me these words. He said, Ryan, there were two things that happened in my life that created these significant issues for me. I think we all have things that we've been through that create issues in our life. And Gary said, these are pretty extreme. Gary said, I witnessed a suicide happen right in front of me 
And he also said that I was sexually abused. Because of these things, I had issues in my life. Gary eventually became a follower of Jesus. He became a believer, and he went to Bible school. But even when he was in Bible school, he was still struggling with his issues. He, he rarely came out of his room. He, he hardly talked to anybody because of his issues. And people would say, well, well what's wrong with Gary? Why, why doesn't he come out of his room very much? Why does he not talk to people? They didn't know about Gary's past. Gary, eventually he graduated from Bible school, and he said, at that time in my life, I, I, I look like a mess. He said, my hair was a mess, and it wasn't in the cool way that some people, they fix their hair, they use that hair glue stuff, right? It looks how cool and messed up. Gary said his hair was a mess. He said, my clothes are old and raggedy, and he said that I had this terrible stuttering problem. It was so bad, uh, I could barely talk. And he also was, he's native. And so sometimes that comes with stereotypes and negative stereotypes, even though stereotypes aren't always true. And because of the way that he looked and the way that he talked, he said, one day I was in a gas station and the gas station owner kicked me out of that store. He walked out of the store, but there just so happened to be a compassionate Christian couple who were there. And they saw and they heard what happened. And they walked out of that gas station store. And they went up to Gary. And they just began to show him love. And at the end of that conversation, Gary glanced over at me and a little more passionately, he said, they prayed for me. And God used the prayers of that compassionate Christian couple to begin delivering me from my inability to talk. Gary has since grown spiritually since that day, and and God has used him to share the gospel with thousands of First Nations people in Canada. When we had our first Native Evangelical Christian Unity Conference in Bemidji back in 2017, Gary came to that conference and he stood up and he shared about a five-minute story, testimony, how God was using him. And he gave glory to God. And he shared how he goes around conducting trauma and grief seminars all over Canada. And at the end of each seminar, he gives opportunity. He senses the Holy Spirit given, uh, leading him to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus. And he shared how God had used him that year alone in 2017 to lead 1,800 people to faith in Jesus Christ. You might ask this morning, what is the vision for the First Peoples Initiative? Here it is. We are asking God for a gospel movement among First Peoples in North America so that 5% of the least reached people groups are first reached for Jesus so that they can then be raised up to participate in God's global mission. When we refer to a gospel movement, we reference Acts chapter 19. It mentions in this, in this passage that there's this widespread sharing of the gospel. Individuals are saved and communities are transformed by God's power. Many tribes throughout North America have less than 5% who are believers in Jesus Christ. So we want to see that number increase so that at least 5% of these tribes are reached for Jesus. And I believe one indication that tribes 
need transformation or change is the high suicide rate. I saw this recently. Listen to this. It's produced by this research research center. It said back in 2011 that the the suicide rate for Native people were, were significantly higher than the average suicide rate. But then it showed this line how the suicide rate generally for the population of the United States has remained relatively flat. It hasn't gone up. But if you look at that chart, you see how that chart has skyrocketed when it comes to Native American suicide rates between 2011 and 2020. Suicide continues to be a growing problem. I love the name of this church. New Hope. I believe God is going to use New Hope in some great ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to tribal people in North America. Two questions for you that you might have about letting our light shine. Where are we supposed to let our light shine? Matthew 5 tells us this. It says in verse 16, before others. This word basically means before all of humankind. Before everyone. Before the over 5 million tribal members in the United States. Before the over 2 million First Nations people in Canada. We have different projects or large-scale ministries within the First People's Initiative. One of them is the Navajo Nation Project. Navajo Nation by itself has around 300,000 tribal members. If you think about the size of it, that's about the size of the city of St. Paul. We have a project of missing and murdered indigenous women. Canada has called this issue a national genocide. Here in the United States, indigenous women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. We're called to let our light shine before Navajos, before women who are coming out of sex trafficking and they need love and support so they can be disciples of Jesus. The second common question that people ask is, how can we practically let our light shine? Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 gives us that answer to that question through this phrase that they may see your good deeds. You heard about the good deeds in Gary Kekwish's story. Some of the things that believers did, organizing outreaches, loving and compassionate conversations. It doesn't have to be anything complex. Just interacting with people one-on-one, loving them, showing, sharing Jesus with them. Trauma and grief seminars. I've highlighted how all these believers did good works. Before I share my last point with you, I want to just share this one thing with you. Many Native people throughout North America, when they've heard the message of Jesus and been taught Christianity, haven't always experienced good works. Just the opposite sometimes. For example, there's something in our history for over 100 years from about 1870 up until about 1980. They're called Indian residential schools. Maybe you've heard about it in the media. There's been a lot said in the last year, year and a half about finding the bodies of buried indigenous children outside of these residential schools in Canada, using underground sensing radar. These residential schools were here in the United States as well. And basically, there were the federal government's attempt and the church's attempt to try to assimilate Native people into the rest of the population. There was a U.S. Army general by the name of Richard Pratt. His model was this. He was a leader for boarding schools. He said, we must kill all the Indian in the Indian, and then we'll save the Indian." What he meant is that we had to destroy all the culture in the Indian and make Native people like white people. Then he believed that Native people would be saved. 
And so in an effort to accomplish that, he took these native children off their homes on the reservation and put them in distant boarding schools. Both my grandpa and grandma were taken from their home on the Boys Hurt Reservation and were put in these boarding schools. And they have their own story of trauma of what they experienced. I won't go into that this morning to save time. But I want to end this message by sharing my third and final point with you, and it's this, to keep focused on what's most important. It's a motivation issue. And Matthew 5, verse 16, it ends with this phrase, glorify your Father in heaven. God is glorified when we as believers, we let our light shine, and we show that through the good works that we do. I want to close with this quote. David Brainerd said, we should always look upon ourselves as God's servants, placed in God's world to do his work, and accordingly, labor faithfully for him, not with the design to grow rich and great, but to glorify God and do all, we, all the good we possibly can. I want to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have here, that you've given us breath, you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would make us fruitful, and that you would help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.